Father, we pray that you would calm any nerves of mine or anyone else's, that you would uh, give us your supernatural peace, wrap it around us as you came into the world to be the true bringer of peace. Please speak your peace over us. Father, sing over us today the words of grace that alone can heal and give us peace. Amen. What do you think of when you think of God in heaven? If you're like me, maybe you think of something like this. There is this magnificent king on his throne, surrounded with light and with fire and lightning bolts coming out from under his throne, with thousands of angel armies surrounding him in adoration and worship. If you are a Bible reader, you probably recognize and relate to this because the Apostle John and the prophets Isaiah and Daniel give us these images in their visions of God. Do you also think of God this way? In this mental picture, which perhaps we share, what is your God saying? As you reflect on this, as I did, are you realizing that he is not talking at all? The angel may be singing, but God is quiet. There might be thunder from underneath his throne, the voices of archangels singing, holy, 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 but no sound from him. In my thought picture of God, God was always quiet. So what's wrong with that picture? What's wrong with that is that God is speaking. What is God saying? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. In this familiar scripture, an angel has just announced the birth of Christ the Lord. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is what the angels said. God gave them a message, and they came and delivered the message. So what exactly did God tell the angels? Well, he probably said, go and give them this message word for word. The angels came and said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So God speaks, and he has something to say to you and me. He has something to say about you and me. Do any of the kids, we have a few kids here, about four, do any of the kids want to raise their hands and guess what they think God is saying over us based on the message the angels gave? 
we have the attention of two kids. Three? If you're a kid, look up here. I see that hand. In the white. He's saying he loves us. Good. Anybody else? He loves us. Good. Do you think God is saying he is displeased with you? No. No, he is saying, I am pleased with you. Do you think God is saying he is angry with you? I see a shaking head back there. No, he is saying, peace to you. Do you think God is saying he is going to give you nothing but trouble? No. Peace to you. Do you think God is saying he is going to punish you for your mistakes? No. No. There is no one who is without sin, but God is love. He spoke over us these words of love before we were born, and before we had a chance to do anything with our lives. Amen? Amen. These words were spoken by the angels, this message from God, before any of us were born. So they came, and so they stand, before we did anything, good or bad. God is saying, he is very pleased with you. But to us, that sometimes doesn't make much sense because we think God would be pleased with me if I were doing well, but we so often don't feel like we are or perhaps we in fact are not. But I tell you that this scripture was spoken over you before you were born. God is saying over you, he is very pleased with you. He always was because that's who he is. The delight of God in you comes out of his character, not out of our actions or our circumstances. This is what Luke 2.14 tells us about God. But the next scripture that we are about to read, in it, we're going to see that God is not just speaking these things over us, He is singing them over us. Turn in your Bibles with me to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Like in the verses before Luke 14, the angel starts out with, Fear not. And then the whole angelic army appears to give the rest of the message. So in Zephaniah 3.17, in the preceding verses, he begins with, Fear not. I think we need to hear that. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I would like, uh, like it if we could keep that scripture on the screen. We have a couple other verses to go through, but if we can keep coming to that one on screen, if that's easy to do. 
I would like for all of us to memorize this. And as God speaks this over us, for us to hide these words in our heart so that we can remember them in the night and remember them in the days to come. The Lord your God is in your midst, or God is with us here, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I'm imagining a mother holding her child in her arms and stroking the child's hair so that the child who was inconsolable becomes completely still. And so the Lord quiets us by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Well, we tend to make excuses when we read the scripture sometimes, especially in dark times. So perhaps you read this and you think, well, the Lord God loves certain people, but he doesn't love me, as evidenced by whatever objection you may have. So you might think to yourself, the Lord will save his people, but I'm not God's people. Well, who are the children of God? Those who believe in him whom the Father has sent. Those who trust that the Father has sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He says to you, as to all his disciples, follow me. He only speaks what he hears from his father. And he says to us, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. No greater love has anyone this than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. This delight over you is grounded in the character of God who, quote, delights in steadfast love, Micah 7.18. God's song of love and delight in us began before we were born and continues through life and into eternity. Romans 8.29, reading from the NLT, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In love, 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. He pre-planned and carried out this song of rejoicing, this this announcement of his favor over you long before you were born. God's song of love and delight in us began before we were born and continues through life and into eternity. Nothing stops our Father's song of love over our lives. Our sin and suffering do not separate us from God's love. And you said, what? Our sin and suffering do not separate us from God's love. Rather, they draw out his heart of compassion for us. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high, or he rouses himself. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed, or oh how happy are all those who long for him. God's love preempts our good or bad decisions, and our good or bad choices cannot quench his love. His love started before our very lives, and his faithful covenant love outlasts even life itself. The grave cannot quench love. His love endures through suffering. In fact, far from driving God away, our suffering and our sinning does not drive God away or make his love for us dry up. It stirs within his deepest heart a compassion and longing for us that moves him. It moves him. Are there any theologians in the room? If there are any theologians here, you may object at this point. You may say that God does not change. I just said our suffering and our sinning draws out his heart of compassion for us. You may say that God possesses the quality of impassibility. That's fancy theological speak for uh, God does not change. But that does not mean that God is impassive or unfeeling, for he deeply feels our pain. After 400 years of painful toil in the land of Egypt, Exodus chapter 2, one of my favorite verses, God says, God saw and God knew. God knew. God intimately knew and felt their pain as though it were his own. Romans 8 says that the Spirit of God groans with inexpressible words as he prays for us to the Father. To say that God is impassable does not mean that he does not feel, but rather that he does not change. He always feels and deeply feels, and he cannot not feel our pain and suffering. 
he does not change. When we think about the suffering and pain of life, we tend to ask questions. When we sin and when we suffer, we could ask, has God abandoned me? But instead, when we turn our faces to look at God, we find that his face is already turned toward us. His affection is toward us, and his favor is for us, just as the angels said. And that is what makes us want to stop sinning. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change, said the late Eugene Peterson. And this is the grace of God, that he would speak, no, sing his song of delight and approval over our lives before we were even born, taking away his judgments from us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Empowerment to grow actually begins with God's acceptance of us as we are. Consider what love the Father has loved us, that we should be called children of God. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, that's poverty, or nakedness, that's Bible speak for shame, or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though we suffer much as we wait for the Lord, and though we wrestle often with the sin that clings so closely, we have a God in heaven who has entered humbly into the world to remove our sin from us in Jesus Christ who came into the world to become a curse for us so that we who believe in him might become the righteousness of God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for you who believe in him, as far as the east is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It is because he delights in us that he has done this. Amen? Amen. 
nothing can stop the love and the grace of God for you. God's love is made visible in Jesus Christ. Born into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I would like to close with a reading from the book Unveiling Mercy by Chad Bird. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. One of the most unforgettable scenes in C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew is when Aslan begins to sing Narnia into existence. This resonates so deeply with, with us because at one time or another, we've all been touched by the creative power of music. Nothing seeps into our souls like song. It moves, inspires, uplifts, stirs something ancient within us. God may not have sung the words of Genesis 1, but he certainly fashioned within the heart of humanity deep recesses that can only be reached by music and singing. So when Zephaniah says that the Lord our God, our Savior, will exult over us with rimna, with loud singing, with cries of jubilation, it is hard to imagine a clearer picture of his passionate and creative love. He has taken away the judgments from us, verse 15, rejoiced over us in gladness, quieted us by his love, and sung songs that recreate us anew. Angels sing, glory to God in the highest when the Christ child is born. Behind that angelic choir, however, is another voice, that of the Father, singing over us and singing over his Son, by whom we are at peace with him. Join with me in prayer. Dear Father, sing over us the song of grace that alone can bring us peace and healing. I pray that you would sing over us out of the riches of your grace, that we would be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in your love, may have strength 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Amen.